So today is the last of our By Popular Demand series. Um, next week we're going to start experiencing God, and you wonder, maybe you're visiting, say, By Popular Demand, and I've got to give the same disclaimer every Sunday. This is not the all-request weekend, you know, on klove.com or whatever here. Um, this is talking about topics that over the last number of years as a pastor, and as I talk to other pastors, um, and just talk with people in the church, we've been addressing the topics that seem to come up the most often. Because what you find is, often the questions you have about God or the struggles you have as you walk with God, you think are unique and individual to you. But what I've found over the years is, they're almost all exactly the same. We all deal with the same basic kind of struggles and issues over and over in life. And, um, and so what I've been trying to do this summer, we started off, this is going to be four weeks and end up going the whole summer, is a series just talking about the most common issues and challenges and looking at what's God say about them. And so this by popular demand, popular meaning um, most often talked about in the church world. And today we're going to look at a topic that comes up really often, very often, but it comes up in all kinds of different forms. So it's a, we're going to handle something in a generic sense that you can then apply to your individual situation. And the topic is going to be, we're going to be looking at is overcoming obstacles in life. Challenges or obstacles, like how do we overcome them? See, here's a reality about your life and my life, that things in our life stand in the way of our progress, of becoming who God has destined us to become. That beautiful picture, there's things that stand in the way of that. Two weeks ago, we talked about in a sermon how uh, when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the relationship then where we discover our destiny. Well, what I know about life and dealing with my own life and dealing with your lives is that we discover our destiny unless we, we see a picture of what it should be, but there are things that stand in the way of our progress as we are developing into that destiny that God has for us. As we're growing into our, into our destiny in Christ, there's obstacles that stand in our way. And although the obstacles are varied and they're different, as different as people are different, um, I have found that there are some common steps that we can take in our lives, in overcoming obstacles in our lives, and that's what I want to talk about today. So start this way with me this morning. Think with me about your life and ask yourself, what obstacles stand in the way, are standing in the way today maybe, or have been historically for maybe years standing in your way as you are trying to progress with Jesus? You're in a path of development and maturity with Christ. If you're not in a path of development and maturity, you need to be. Because God wants you to be something better than you are today. As wonderful as you may think you are, you know, I said to Sam, when Suzanne was leading worship, and I shouldn't always tell her, she's leading worship and she just shared from her heart, and I leaned over and I said, my wife rocks. And she said, I agree. And as wonderful as you may say, oh, I see this person as, as wonderful and they rock, there's still growth and development in all of our lives. None of us has arrived yet. None of us. You know, I haven't, you haven't. And so ask yourself, what challenges are you facing that maybe seem too big to overcome? Maybe you've given up on them. You just said, I'm just learning to live with that. I'm just, you know, I know it's not what God would really have for me, but I'm learning to just live with it. What are those things? Are there things in your life that you just can't seem to get a handle on? Addictions in your life? Things that no one else would know. You sit in church, you smile, you wear your nice clothes, but you don't know. No one else knows that there's something that, you know, you're looking at something on the Internet you shouldn't. Or you're involved in this or that and you shouldn't. An addiction in your life. An addiction is just something that, that controls you. Or maybe you look at your life and you just say, I can't seem to get a handle on my marriage. My marriage for, for 30 years or for three years or if you've been married for three months, for three months. 
is just a, a life of conflict. Maybe the obstacle in your life is forgiving someone who hurt you very deeply somewhere in your life. They wounded you. It's real. It happened. And you just seemed unable to, to forgive them. Maybe it's a weight loss issue or a financial issue or a, an anger issue or a purity issue. And you just say, yeah, there's, I, I look at my life. There's some obstacles in my life. You know, if you don't see one right now, just wait a few minutes or a few days or a few months. Um, life is basically um, a life of running a marathon, jumping hurdles. That's really what it is with Jesus, jumping hurdles with Jesus. He, as, we help, as we ask him, he helps us over them. But that's really what life is all about. Life is full of, of obstacles. What I want to do in order to, to address this topic today is I want to look at a story from Scripture that deals with overcoming what appears to be an impossible obstacle. In comparison to your obstacle, the reason I picked one like this is it's so big, you can say, well, if God could do that, God can do anything. And from this story, there's going to be some principles we're going to draw out of it we can learn from that can help us to overcome our obstacles. And it's a story that, that I refer to kind of regularly in my life because it's really one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's in Judges chapter 7. You can turn there, and I'm going to kind of summarize it for you. Judges chapter 7, the story about Gideon and his battle with the Midianites. And you say, oh, I know that story. You do, but I bet you there's some things we can learn from it today that maybe you don't have a handle on. Because it's, it's where God leads me and always takes me back to this story very regularly. And if God could do that, how did he do it? And if he could do that in that guy's life, what can he do in my life, in my obstacles? So you can just turn to Judges chapter 7, and let me just summarize the story for you in case you're not familiar with the story of Gideon. What I love is, a lot of times, because there's always new people coming to church, you've never even heard of Gideon. And, uh, and so I want to tell you about, his, about who, who this guy is. Gideon was an was a Israelite, a Jew, who lived with the nation of Israel in the Promised Land. So they've already been through the wilderness wandering. They're well established in the Promised Land. And they've been there long enough that they've actually, as a nation, begun to spiritually fall away from God. They're involved in things they shouldn't be. The very things that God said, you shall not do these things, those are the things they did, and they didn't only do them, they did them publicly. So idol, they were worshiping idols, but they didn't just do it privately, they did it publicly. They erected, they erected um, uh, um, altars to Baal worship. They had Asherah poles, which were idol worship places. And they were on their high places, meaning their hills, and, their places, and the people, the Jewish people who should have known better, better went there and they were regularly worshiping idols. So what it says in the, in, in the story is it says that God turned them over to be, to be disciplined by a nation that was stronger militarily than them, the Midianites. And they, they, the Midianites would, would uh, come and would, would just raid their land every single year for seven years. And uh, so here's a situation where these people are supposed to be living in the blessing of God, but because they've turned away from God and his principles, God is correcting them. Remember we talked a few weeks ago about God's anger, that God's not angry by nature, but he does get angry, and his anger is to, for, it's not punitive, but it's corrective. That's what's going on here. God is trying to correct and this ends up happening in the story, correct the wrong behavior, which really is just a sign of the wrong hearts of, this, of his people, of, his, of the people he's hand-selected. So, so he allows these Midianite army, for it says for seven years, to come in and to plunder the land. And every year at harvest time, when they plant their crops, and the crops are just growing up, right then the Midianites would come with an innumerable army, probably hundreds of thousands of, of soldiers and, and, and animals, and they'd basically, like locusts, eat everything and take everything out of the land. And so the people are basically starving. And so we find Gideon, the man who's going to be the hero of the story, who doesn't start off as a hero. And here's good news. God 
usually, I have found usually takes pure people that we would never think are the hero, and he uses them as the hero. And so you say, I'm a nobody from nowhere. That's exactly what Gideon said about himself. A nobody, the least of all, the least of my family, the least of my families, the least of the families, and he uses him. But we find mighty warrior Gideon doing what? He's hiding in the wine press, which is an area where they would squish the grapes to make, to make grape juice and would turn into wine. And he's hiding in there, but what he's doing in there, he's not hiding just from, from uh, worrying about the army coming in. He's hiding grain in the wine press. He said, before the Midianites come and steal it all, I'm going to take some of it and hide it so me and my family don't starve to death. So that's what he's doing. He's hiding in the wine press. And as he's doing this, hiding the wheat in the, in the wine press, an angel of the Lord appears to him and tells him, Gideon, God has chosen you to deliver Israel. Now, that wasn't an unusual thought to an Israelite. They knew that God had done that in times past. People like Moses, God said, I'm going to use you to deliver. And so imagine he's saying, uh, God, you got the wrong guy. And he says, I'm the least of my family, and my family's the least of all the families. And the angel basically to prove himself, Gideon says, hang on a second, let me get an offering. So the angel's going to prove that he's really, that he's really you know, from God. And so um, Gideon brings an offering out and puts it on a rock. And the angel takes a staff and touches the offering, and it, it, it's just consumed with fire. He goes, oh, my goodness. So he said, I didn't realize I was with the Lord. He goes, God's here. And it says, then the Lord begins to speak to him. And the Lord begins to tell him, I'm going to use you to deliver the nation. And so Gideon, you know, in, in the process of saying that, he goes, okay, God, yeah, I guess that's really true. And God tells him what his preferred future really is, that you're going to be the deliverer. But he goes, I'm kind of scared. And so what's he do? He, he does something that we use a term from. He takes a fleece, a piece of wool. And he lays it on the ground. You ever heard the term, you know, you lay your fleece before the Lord? And that, like, I want a sign from God? This is where it comes from. He takes a sheepskin, a fleece, and he lays it on the ground. And he says, God, if, this is, if I'm really hearing you accurately, God, what you want to do, then I'm going to ask you that tonight and then tomorrow morning when I wake up, that the dew would only be on the fleece and the ground would be dry around the fleece. And so God says, okay. So the next morning he wakes up and he wrings the fleece out and water runs out of it. And so I think in his mind, he goes this, because we do the same thing all the time. We say, oh, yeah, God really talked to me, but did he really talk to me? And, yeah, I asked for a sign, but was it really a sign? He says, okay, God, let's switch it around. Let's do it the opposite way. Because maybe it's something to do with the, the, the humidity and the dew point, and, and wool absorbs moisture more than dirt, and something, you know, because you, you would do the same thing. You'd rationalize it, right? And so he says, God, do it the opposite tonight, and say, make the, the ground only have dew on it, and the fleece be dry. And lo and behold, the next day he gets up, and the fleece is dry, and the ground is wet. And he says, okay, God, I'm convinced. So God says, gather the troops. You're going to go to war. And remember, they have a history of war. They conquered the promised land of war. They knew what it was all about. So he rallies the troops against this hundreds of thousands of person army, and 32,000 men show up. And you say, that's a pretty good size, but it's already way too small, maybe 1 to 10 ratio against their enemy. And uh, 32,000 men show up, and God says to Gideon, one of the funniest things in the Bible, there's still too many of you. There's too many of you. Yeah, right. So God says the next thing that, that you know, put it in real life in real time, that you would all be the, in this first group of people. 32,000 show up, and Gideon, God says there's still too many. And uh, he says, if anybody is afraid, tell them to go home. 22,000 people say, I'd be a fool not to be afraid, Right? And so 22,000 out of 32,000 say, sayonara, going home. And they go home. And Gideon's got 10,000 left. And he's going, oh, my goodness, how do I do this with 10,000? And God says, still too many. So God says to him, now take them down and let them get a drink of water. So remember, they get a drink of water. 10,000 people go get a drink of water. And uh, 
after, after they're done, God says, I want you to separate them this way. Whoever went down and basically kneeled down and put their mouth to the, to the water and got a drink, let them go home. And whoever put their hand in the water, brought it up to their face and drank, keep them here. And they look at it, and 9,700 men stuck their mouths in the water, go home. 300 stay with Gideon. And God says, take those 300. That's your, that's your mighty army. Take that, take those 300. And so Gideon's trusting God. God's showing him all these signs. And he's, he's you know, she should be a great man of faith and power right now, right? He's going to overcome his obstacle? He's still shaking in his boots. And I would too be. And God says, Gideon, if you're still afraid before you go to battle, here's what I want you to do. Sneak down tonight into the enemy's camp. And go listen outside the tents to see what they have to say. So him and another guy, they sneak down into the, into the thing. I think it's just funny. God has a sense of humor because they listen outside of a tent. And one guy goes, I had a dream. And in my dream, a loaf of barley bread rolled down the hill and flattened our tents. Now, I don't know what that would mean to you, but I have, you know, it wouldn't mean what he said it meant. He says, I know the interpretation. The other guy, the Lord has given me the interpretation. It means that Gideon is going to destroy us. And Gideon's outside listening. So now Gideon's saying, okay, I get this. God's really, because that interpretation only could come from God, because why would a loaf of barley bread rolling down a hill flattening your tent mean Gideon is going to come and destroy you? But so he understands. So he takes his 300 men, and he goes to battle in a way that has never been fought in battle ever since, um, or before that or ever since. Takes 300 guys, they put away their swords, and they they take 300 trumpets, 300 pitchers, ceramic pitchers, and 300 torches. And they take the torches, they put them inside the pitchers, they surround the armies camp at night and at the chosen time they smash the pitchers they expose the lights so there's now light all the way around them and they blow their trumpets and they yell a sword for the lord and for gideon and what happens is the troops don't know what's going on the enemy they start slaughtering each other fighting they don't know what's going on slaughter each other they begin to run away and gideon and his men chase them down and they slaughter the whole bunch of them and and uh and they win and the Midianites don't come back again. Not only do they don't come back again, they just decimate the enemy. Now that, my friends, is a crazy story. Um, Gideon was facing a huge obstacle. You say, well, my obstacle in my mind was this. Think about it. Was your obstacle anywhere as big as Gideon's obstacle? Probably not. Um, so this, this crazy story of where Gideon overcomes this impossible obstacle. And the question that I want us to think about from the story today is, what enabled Gideon to overcome what appeared to be an impossible obstacle? How did it work? What, what enabled him to do it? And what then can we learn from his story that, we can, that can help us then to face our Midianite army? Matter of fact, a really good thing to do for you from now on, when you're facing an obstacle, write Midianite over the top of it. Seriously. Remind yourself that God specializes in doing impossible things. So what in your life is a Midianite army? How do we overcome it and move forward into God's plan? Well, from the story, I see, I see three things I want to look at that kind of serve as a pathway to progress, a pathway to overcoming our obstacles and realizing our destiny in Christ. And so let's, uh, let's, um, let's think about those. The first one is this, the first part of the pathway, is that Gideon had a word from God about his situation. Look at chapter 6, verse 36. It says, then Gideon said to God, if you will deliver Israel through me, his next little phrase, as you have spoken. 
And he goes on to talk about it. As you have spoken, he heard what God said, God thought about the situation, and he got God's perspective on the situation. This is what you said, God. Then look over at chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. And this is, you know what's interesting? I've preached on this topic, I don't know, in my life a dozen times probably. And I have read this story dozens of times. And there's a section of script, something in the story I never, ever remember reading before. Look at start, verse and start 8, chapter 6, starting 8 through 10. And I won't read the whole thing other than the first line of the first thing. It says that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he goes on and says, this is what my plan for you has been. But then in verse 10, he says, but, um, but you've not obeyed me. And because you've not obeyed me, now the Midianites are coming in and destroying you every time. That this unnamed, matter of fact, I, when I read that, I go, I don't ever remember seeing that before. How did I overlook that? Four verses in this story that I've read dozens of times that says God has sent a prophet that it spoke to them exactly what was going on in their situation. And I, I started research. I said, who is this prophet? Does anybody know? So I began to look in you know, commentaries, and, and you know what they refer to him as? The unnamed prophet. <laughs> so sometimes you're an unnamed prophet. So the unnamed prophet comes in and tells them, this is God's perspective on your situation. Friends, Gideon knew God's perspective about his situation. Gideon knew God's plan for his situation. You say, well, why is it important to begin with understanding what does God have to say about my situation? Why is it important? Because it told Gideon the real truth about his situation and God's planned outcome. Sometimes we get in the middle of something and we really get our minds kind of warped through pain and difficulty and stress and we don't see things accurately. That's why we have to have a, a place to go of objective truth. And look at it and say, what's God's have to say about it? And so he found out what the real truth about the situation was. It told him um, what should be, they should win, what could be, not just was. Not just what he saw. What he saw is an impossible situation, but God said, I'll tell you what I see. I see you're going to win the battle. It gave him something to hold on to when the battle seemed impossible to win. When he struggled and said, I don't think there's any way we can do it. It's been seven years, God. You know, and it gave him the strength that he needed when he thought felt like quitting. See, friends, he knew God's perspective and he knew God's plan on his circumstances. And this is what you need to ask yourself. What does God, not man, have to say about your situation? What's God's perspective about your situation? Now understand, most likely an angel isn't going to appear to you and come to you and, and uh, tell you what's going to go on. Most likely a prophet's not going to show up in your house and say, by the way, I'm the unnamed prophet. I'm going to come and tell you what's going on in your situation. Probably not going to happen. But friends, understand, God has already spoken to your situation from his word. And he does speak to your situation by his spirit. So what does God say about your situation? What does God say about your marriage situation? He says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God says your marriage has been joined by him and is to remain and to thrive. What does God say about your addiction situation? About your anger issues? What does he say about your purity issues? He says, whom Christ has set free is free indeed. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He says that in Christ, 
It's God's plan for you to find freedom and fullness. That God is greater than your hindrances and stronger than your chains. And then he can set you free as you call out to him and as you cooperate with the spirit of God working within you because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. What does God say about your difficulty with forgiving somebody who hurt you very deeply? It's very real. Or a group of people who hurt you very deeply. And the pain just seems to nag and gnaw at you for, for month after month and year after year and you just seem can't get, get, get past it. You know, what does God say about it? He said this. Lord, pray this way. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus was instructing his disciples on how they should pray and he said that they can ask God to forgive them, us, and also ask God to empower us to forgive others. That through God all things are possible. That God can help you to forgive. That's God's perspective about your situation. God wants to enable you to forgive. So friends, what's God's word on your situation? What's God's perspective? See friends, that's all that really matters. Because his perspective is truth. Regardless of how you feel or how things seem to be. His perspective is truth. And friends, we need to get God's perspective And we need to hold on to it and we need to believe it. That's the starting point of overcoming an issue in your life. What does God have to say about it? God said, Gideon, you're going to win. What's God say? God tells us we're winners. We're overcomers. And and how how is God going to do that? We get his word on it. Now let me show you um, something that I think is really important to, to making this work in your life. Something that will help you. When you get God's perspective on a situation, when you get the word of God, when good godly counsel helps you understand God's perspective from his word and the confirmation of the Holy Spirit, you know what you need to do about your situation? You absolutely can't seem to overcome and God gives you his truth about it. You need to write God's truth down and you need to read it every day over and over. You need to confess it every single day. If your marriage is struggling... Write what God's word says in a three-by-five card. Stick it in your pocket. Put it in your Bible and read it every single morning out loud to yourself every single day. And as you do that, you will begin to rewire your thinking and you begin to own it as truth. What you're doing, the Bible talks about renewing our mind by the washing of the word. You begin to confess it and you begin to say it out loud to yourself until you begin to believe this. Friends, I do this every day in my life for almost every single day. In the cover of my Bible, and it's not for anybody else to read, there's a piece of paper clipped on the inside cover of my Bible. And I title it My Daily Confession. And almost every year I write a new one. I've done it for years and years and years and years. And I read it every single day and I read it out loud every day. I try to do it right, right away in the beginning of my day. It's a confession of biblical truth that pertains to me. I wrote it for me. So don't ask me for mine because it won't apply to you. It's, a, it's what after you know, 30 years of walking with God, what I know I need to say, God, this is what I need to understand and, and this is what I believe, what I know you believe about me and my situation. And I confess this biblical truth every day. I read it every day and it reminds me about myself and what God's perspective is about my situation and I begin to own it as truth, as my truth, as I read it every single day. So the first thing you do, first thing Gideon, that you, you do to overcome what Gideon, like Gideon did, is you overcome obstacles is you get God's perspective on your situation and you own it as your own. Okay? Pretty good first step. Let's move on to the second step. The second thing we can grasp from Gideon's story is this, and this is incredibly important, and it has to do with the body of Christ primarily, is that Gideon, in order to overcome, Gideon had a unified team. 
verses, chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, are dealing with that, the story that I summarized for you that talked about they started with 32,000, they went to 22,000, they went to 300. The thinning of the ranks. The chosen 300, though. It's not just the who got rid of them, it's who stayed. Who stayed around Gideon. In verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I'll test them for you there. Therefore, it should be that he of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you. He shall go with you. But everyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you. He shall not go with you. Why did God whittle this thing down from 32,000 to 300? He did it. He thinned the ranks. First of all, it says clearly he did it in order so that God would get the glory. No one could say that they were just really great fighters. But there's another just as important reason. He did it so that they, Gideon's 300 would be a unified core. He took 300 people. Think, think of this. The only reason God's like, he didn't have them have a trumpet blowing contest. He didn't see any other reason. He just said 300 people who all did the same thing the same way. That was it. Simply drank water the same way. Something that you would think has absolutely nothing to do with the battle and it had nothing to do with the battle. The point was they were all unified in one simple way. They simply drank water in the same way. They were in unity. And friends, Scripture shows and life proves that God can do miracles through unity. You want to have a key for success in overcoming your obstacles? Listen, when you are facing your obstacle, surround yourself with people who are united with you in your battle and believe in the same outcome that you believe in. Friends, write that down in your heart somewhere. Write it down in your Bible somewhere. When you are facing your obstacles, surround yourself with people who are united with you in your battle and believe in the same spiritual outcome that you believe in. If you have an addiction in your life, surround yourself with people who have overcome addictions. And listen, that's one half of the story. But also stay away from people who have not, who make excuses. If, if you have marriage problems... Surround yourself with people who have great, solid marriages. Watch them, ask questions, learn from them. But the other side is this, and do not spend time with people who tear at your marriage's foundation. Stay away from the people who are always criticizing your spouse or criticizing their spouse or push you towards divorce because they've been divorced. And they say, well, because they justify their own feelings. We know God can forgive anything. He can forgive divorce. But they can inside, they don't even identify sometimes. They feel somewhat better about their decisions that they still really kind of harbor some, some, some pain about. And if you get divorced, then they say, okay, I feel better about myself. And it has nothing to do with you. And I don't, think this, I don't think it's consciously, it's subconsciously. And I'm saying stay away from people. I'm not saying stay away from people who, who are in a bad situation for evangelism reasons. But I'm saying as those who you draw close and dear to you, you go around people who are, who are solid in the area and you stay away from people who will either criticize or condemn or tear away at what you're trying to accomplish. You see, on purpose, friends, seek out people that you can that to build a solid relationship with who have the same spiritual objectives that you have. People who can help you and hold you accountable. And I want you to understand, guys and girls, you may have to get some new friends. You may have to, on purpose, look for some different people. I'm not saying you abandon people. I'm saying, but who do you share your heart with? Who do you pray with? Who do you, who do you spend your, the closest time with? That if you are stalled in your development, 
in developing into the person of Christ. I don't care if you've been saved for one year or 30 years. If you're stalled in your development, you're the same person you were and you think the same as you did 20 years ago. If you're stalled in your development, look around you and see if the people you spend most of your time with are also stalled in their development. And if so, on purpose, begin to spend some time with people who are moving forward spiritually, who are overcomers and who are not excuse makers. Spend time with some people who are moving forward with Christ. Unite with people who are growing and thriving because this is what I found about that. It's contagious. If you spend all your time with people who are struggling and, and, and floundering, it's also contagious. So spend time with people who are moving forward in Christ. Not saying that, they, that in any way they're better people. I'm just saying they've learned to walk with God in a victorious manner. Spend time with people who are victorious in Christ. So have a word from the Lord first. Have a unified team Second, and then the third thing, the third step in this process is this. Then choose to move forward in faith. Begin to do the right thing or things, not just talk about it. You know what people are notoriously good at? Talking about stuff and never doing it. When I, I lived in Louisiana for a year. It drove me stark raven mad. I was a salesman for a print shop. And I was, try, I was the guy who went out in a brand new shop and I was the guy who went to businesses to recruit work. And you know what I heard from about every business owner in Baton Rouge, Louisiana? Yeah, I'm fixing to do something about that. After a while, I wanted to scream because no one ever did anything. They were all fixing to do something. And of course, I'm a driven, you know, Midwestern guy, strong work ethic, didn't fit it all down there in the business climate, you know, as I was going to college. But they were all fixing to do something, but they never did it. And I, one day I walked into a business and it was, I would just cold call people. I just walked into businesses. And it was a guy from Michigan. I'll never forget the day. I walked in and I said, hey, I want to talk to you about your printing. He goes, where are you from? I didn't have an accent. I said, I'm from Wisconsin. And I said, and he, he just went off on me. I'm moving back to Michigan. I can't take it. And he used that exact thing. Everybody's fixing to do something and nobody does it. And he goes, he goes if you promise me that you'll get it done, I, will it get done? I said, I promise you, it'll get done. You know, he goes, I trust you, <laughs> you know, which was, which was, he goes, you're from Wisconsin. I can trust you. No, I'm not dissing Louisiana people if you're here from Louisiana, but it was a different world down there. A lot of times we're good at fixing to do things. I'm planning on it. I'm fixing to do it, but we just don't do it. You want to, you want to move forward with God. You want to overcome. You want to become that, discover that destiny and see the destiny fulfilled. Well, you need to begin to do the right things, not just talk about it. You see, before the battle began with Gideon, Gideon was clearly afraid, and that's okay. I would have been afraid too. When you step out in faith, it's a scary thing because you're giving up control and you're trusting God. But there came a time when he made a decision, and he put his fear aside, and he followed God's leading to do the right thing. In chapter 6, verses 36 to 40, I also summarize this. It's, it's the fleeces on the floor. He's afraid, right? He's going, I don't know, God, you know, you say it, but is it really going to happen? And he's looking for a confirmation. But then look at chapter 7. I think chapter 7, verse 1, is the key to the entire story. You maybe just read right over it at some point. Because of the very first word in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Then Jerubbabel, and that's, it says in your parentheses there, that is Gideon. They, call, they renamed him. So then Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the spring. Until it goes on to say that they went to war. Then Gideon. Then is the word. It was a moment of decision and a moment of action. That he said, I know God's plan. I'm surrounded by a team. 
But now I've got to do something about it. I know what God has told me to do. Then Gideon, a moment of decision, Gideon made a decision to move forward to step out in faith. He trusted God and he moved forward even though he did not know the outcome. He knew what God said about it, but he hadn't experienced it yet. But look at the victory when you read the story. They routed. They routed the Midianites. See, ultimately, we know from the story, it was God who won the battle. But look at what we learned from the story. God didn't just do it on his own. He didn't just speak it like he spoke the world in the creation. He didn't just speak the victory into, into being. God did it through Gideon and the 300. Gideon had to trust and obey. You know the song? Trust and obey, for there's no other way. We would just like to say trust and believe. And he's saying, no, trust and obey. He needed to step out in faith. Friends, if you want to overcome obstacles, there's a day where you have to choose faith over fear. When you face your obstacles, obstacles, I have found that the most common cause that people fail in overcoming is their fear of failure. It's the reason they, because they even know God's, they know what God wants. They even have some people praying for them. But they just never take action. They never say, now I'm going to step out of the boat. Now I'm going to jump off the, what feels like the spiritual cliff and choose faith over fear. So they, fear keeps them from making this decision. You know, they say this, well, what if I fail again? I tried that. It didn't work. I'm not going to even try because what if I fail again? Friend, that's, that's how Gideon started the story out. He was hiding in the wine press. He didn't plan on fighting and he didn't plan on winning, right? He didn't plan on winning. He planned on failing. He just accepted failure. Friends, your biggest victories will come when you look the fear of failure in the eye and you say to fear, you are not going to stop me again. I am moving forward with God. Faith, friends, trust in God is essential to victory. I'm not talking blind faith or faith in faith. I am saying a faith in the loving Heavenly Father who wants the absolute best for you, who, who cries out to over you that you are an overcomer and a victor, that He is going to lead you to victory, but you need to step out in faith and follow His lead. Friends, He can restore your marriage. He can heal you. He can reach your lost kids. He can break your addiction, but you need to step out in faith and follow His lead for it to happen. He just doesn't speak it into being. That's not what he did for Gideon, and that's not what church history shows or scriptures show us. Believe me, friends. I'm not saying stepping out in faith is easy. Stepping out in faith is hard, and I've done it in some pretty dramatic ways over the course of my walking with Jesus. I have taken incredibly huge risks. And that's not a pat mark on the back thing. I'm just saying learn from me something that maybe not doesn't sound real flattering. I've known God's perspective on it. We've been praying and known what we're supposed to do. We have the unified team, but we're scared to death. Scared to death. Doesn't seem to get any easier. But you've got to step out in faith. Can you imagine, too, also when you step out in faith, what people will say to you when you step out in faith? Think what they said. Gideon is doing everything right. He's following. Angels have been talking to him. God's been talking to him. Miracles are happening. Water on a fleece, water on the ground. Things being, softening, being consumed by fire. Prophetic words spoken from the enemy's camp, all this stuff happening, and I guarantee you the naysayers around them were saying, what? You're going to get slaughtered, Gideon. You're going to be slaughtered. Gideon, you're an absolute fool to step out in faith like that because it doesn't make logical sense. They're saying, come on, Gideon, hide with us in the wine press. Save yourself. And I'm sure they heard this one, but Gideon, we've never done it that way before. 
You know what? We've gone to war before Gideon, and God's done some really good miracles of, of fighting before. You know, little David's killed Goliath with a stone. You know, maybe at least take slingshots, because trumpets don't work very good. I've never done it that way before. Friends, I want you to understand something today. Often God's path to victory looks a lot different than ours does, than other people's just common sense and logic does. Generally, we want to take matters into our own hands and just do it our own way because it makes sense to us. But God wants us to place things in his hands and simply trust and obey. That's what Gideon did. The plan looked crazy. It was crazy, except for the fact it was God's plan. And he trusted and obeyed and he overcame what appeared to everybody on the planet as a completely unwinnable war. Friends, when you step out in faith, people are going to call you crazy. They're going to say you're nuts. I've heard it from all kinds of people. You can't do that. It doesn't work. Say, but God. God sees it, stepping out in faith, as a key to gaining a victory. So you choose faith over fear. Gideon faced an apparently unwinnable war. What did he do? Three things. He had a word from the Lord. He had a unified team. And he chose faith over fear. And what was the outcome? Overcame the biggest obstacle that any of us could ever imagine. And so what do you ask yourself today? What seems impossible for you? I wanted to speak to you this morning that all things are possible with God. I think there's some truth in this path that we can find from Gideon's victory. I believe God wants to give you victory today. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? I'm going to just pray over you this morning. Pray for us this morning. I'm going to pray for God to take whatever might be truth from his word and burn it into your soul, into your spirit this morning. And anything that shouldn't belong, for God, just to erase it from your memory. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this incredible example in Gideon and so many other people in Scripture of people who walked as overcomers, people who be, who. who not only knew their destiny, the angel spoke it, you're going to be the deliverer, but experienced the destiny, became that, that wonderful, beautiful picture of the, of the judge of Israel and then led Israel in victory for years to come because he walked a path of victory in his life. Father, only you know the obstacles to stand in the lives in the way of the development of the people in this very room today. Only you know. But God, I ask right now, you begin to speak into our hearts your perspective on our situation. Even the ones that seem impossible, you'd begin to speak into our lives.